Hello, and welcome to Not So Silent Reading. <laughs> also known as Not So Often Reading, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Katie. Uh, and we are your hosts that have lapsed a little bit in the hosting duties, but that's okay. Yeah, it's a pandemic. Uh, yeah, Still. I know. We're here with compassion yeah. for ourselves. Um, I also wasn't recording but right before I pushed record I was like we should do our intro and then I was like wait what's our podcast called again <laughs> which is fine we're doing great <laughs> doing the best we can here um well I feel like so much has happened mm-hmm. and yet so little has happened in the last six months <laughs> but the book we had tasked ourselves to read was um cast by Isabel Wilkerson um, she also wrote The Warmth of Other Suns. Mm-hmm. And, well, it just took us some time to get through it. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what Charlotte is not mentioning is she also started a new job since we <laughs> last met. Uh, and so it is, you know, a year and some change into a pandemic, uh, a racial reckoning in America, a very stressful election, and then a very stressful start to the new year. A coup. Uh, a real quick, you know, <laughs> insurrection to kick things mm-hmm. off. Uh, and it's pretty hard, as we'll get into shortly, I think, to not see the parallels between the caste system and how much of that really unva- un, you know, unraveled in just the month of January alone. Yeah. Uh, so I had a really hard time trying to dig into this book because it felt too s- close and too too much what we are seeing every day, which is a real quick insight into my privilege. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, because I've, um, well, that's actually a good point. I like didn't think about that. It is privilege. Yeah. Because I was, you know, I think when we said we were going to read this, it was November. I want to say it was our last. I think so. Or early December. I forget. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, like, we'll catch up after the holidays. And during the holidays, I read some, like, light reads. I was, like, keeping it fun, keeping it light. And then January, I sat down to read this, and it was, I was like, there's a, it's a lot. It's Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, There's just a lot going on. And um, this book is so, as I'm sure we'll get into, has so many, like, interesting thoughts and ideas. But they are heavy thoughts. Um, And, uh, yeah, so it just, you know was uh and we've said it before and we'll say it again we are two real sweet white ladies uh who are going to get some of this stuff wrong because this is going to be a lot more complicated than our lived experience can kind of prepare us for so uh we we start this by humbly asking for a little grace and forgiveness um and a little generosity as i think we're going to get a little vulnerable as well not a little a lot vulnerable as well uh, because again, we benefit from the caste system and this kind of academic framework for us to recognize it is a hard to reckon with, but also not hard at all to reckon with. Uh, it's easy to understand. It's hard to, yeah, it's easy and hard to understand is really what it comes down to for me. Um, but we'll dive into that as we get into the book. Yeah. And with that. So we'll start, um, going into it. Sorry, I just wanted to tap to make sure it was still recording. It is. Yeah. (laughs) We're doing a new uh, recording uh, methodology today because Mm -hmm. my computer, I took it on a flight and I I, I had packed, actually, okay, so side story. I packed very cute little fruit, you know, 
snack for myself for this flight. And the fruit juices spilled inside my bag onto my laptop. And ever since, like, it the speakers doesn't work anymore (laughs) i think the fruit juices got into the speakers and so we're recording off my phone so we're just hoping it works out and if the audio quality isn't great then we blame the patriarchy and also we are both vaccinated so we're you know yes would like to say we're trying to adhere to the correct protocols (laughs) (laughs) okay well where where do you do you want to start or yes uh, I will admit right off the bat that this is going to, uh, I'm going to conflate a couple, not conflate, I'm going to tie in a couple of other ideas from some of the other books that I read about uh, tangentially related to race in America, um, because she starts out the book with the arbitrary constructions of human division, uh, which I find to be a really fascinating and nuanced subject. And she talks about it in this book, obviously, but there's also... Um, another book that I read called Fatal Invention, which is about the invention of race as like a biological truth that is not at all true. Um, and so I'm going to tie in some ideas from that because I think that, again, like as, as we said at the top, we are two white women. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the interesting and complicated parts of cast is that it flattens everybody into this structure. And so while Charlotte and I are both white, uh, we are very different. She is first-generation French immigrant. Uh, Both of her parents were born and raised in France. I am uh, not. (laughs) Uh, My mom is uh, probably of a generic kind of Irish descent. Uh, We do know that uh, great-great-grandparents got hungry and bailed on Ireland as soon as they ran out of potatoes, which really says a lot about me as a person. (laughs) Get hungry and bail. Um, (laughs) and my dad's side of the family is a hodgepodge of Hispanic. And so even though I am for sure white passing, uh, I am also a complicated, uh, mixed drink. Um, (laughs) so the, what, what, what I like about this is that both of us have these complex, rich, uh, personal histories that we want to share and not be flattened into this idea of just white. Um, and then we say that as the beneficiaries of a system that calls us white, uh, you know, so I think that that is a really great entry point into how this conversation can kind of unfold. Like, you know, we hear throughout the book when she's traveling to these conferences that she's seen as like a black woman, she could, or like when she was interviewing that guy for the New York times, like he didn't think she could, he she could be the reporter, like all of those kind of at a glance dismissals. Um, when really like even us are saying like we would like to show up with the full complexities of who we are and it's robbed by from all of us by a caste Mm -hmm. system yeah it's um yeah judgment like quick judgments right Mm -hmm. like are um really uh can be really harmful and so superficial like they just rob you of the depth that I think each human is capable of um and I think I mean they're so so many places I want to go, but, uh, to respond to the anecdotes that I think are sprinkled throughout the story, both the, or the stories that are told about, um, you know, different, um, you know, stories from the past of that, uh, different people suffered through, you know, some really atrocious, um, 
what's the, I mean, oppression and, and violence and physical pain and emotional pain. But, um, I also liked that the, that, um, the author, she wrote about her own experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. she's clearly a super accomplished, like badass lady. Mm -hmm. I mean, Pulitzer prize winner. And, um, did she also get the genius grant? I, did she? I, I wouldn't I might, be surprised. Yeah, I might she's be thinking smart. of the woman from the 1619 Project, but I thought she also got it too. But she should have, either yeah, way. <laughs> I know. I mean, um, and but I loved that she also offered her own personal stories. And the, the actually the towards the end, she talks about different experiences she had in um, on different flights and flying in first class that I thought were like so good, mm-hmm. um, and really illustrated these like small. Um, you know, they're just kind of blips of, 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 um, in terms of time, in terms of the amount of time that that story takes place, but like the impact is so greater. And, um, I thought it really held up a mirror to myself of like, oh, have I, you know, have I done that? Have I been a perpetrator of that? When, you know, how can I be better about recognizing and being more aware? Um, and so I just really loved it. Um, to go back to the start, though, I thought she starts the book with um, it's it's uh, starts with like the story of a picture um, during World War Two or the rise of of um, the Third Reich in Germany and about all these people in this picture saluting Hitler and there's like the one man who doesn't mm-hmm. you know do the um, Heil Hitler um, and you know, she, she points out, like, we all want to be that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or that person, the one person who does the right thing, even when at the time it's going against the grain. Mm-hmm. But statistically speaking, you're probably not going to be that one person, right? There is only, there was only one out of that huge crowd that did that. So statistically, if we're all put in a room and like, there was only one going to be one of us who would do that. And I think that was just a great place to start where it was like, really forcing you to be humble about what you would have done in that situation or what you do in that situation, um, you know, in parallel situations in the present. Like, are you that one man who kind of fights against the norm or are you one of the many who kind of goes along with what this current um, societal structure or political forces are? Mm-hmm. Anyways, so. Yeah. I'll stop there. But. Uh, it reminds me of Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. She talks about um, Black Lives Matter and, you know, her kid was reading up on, um, you know, the civil rights in America. And uh, she said, Mom, like, would we be there? And, like, marching on Washington, too? And Glennon Doyle said that she, like, wanted to say, yeah, of course we would be. But her other daughter chimed in and said, like, no, of course not. Like, we're in Florida. And she kind of had to reckon with the same thing, where it's like we look back on history and would hope that we come down on the right side of history, but the reality is we're living it too. It's even yeah. like, what are we doing now in this moment where we're watching injustices all across the country and the globe? Um, and what role are we actively playing and how committed are we? Um, and one of the things I thought was particularly poignant about that guy uh, in the Third Reich photo was this, your safety is on the line. And there's a lot of times mm-hmm. where to be a, an active part of these uh, causes for justice you have to put your body on the line and your safety on the line and and your family and your family too and mob rules you know it's not just you it's them too um and i feel like i am not there like i wish i was but i am not 
Yeah, it's um, and I think it really put forces you. It's like if you, if I were to think about like if I'm is if there's an action that I were um, that maybe I believed in, but like actually acted upon that put myself at r- physical risk or just risk generally mm-hmm. and my family. Like, do you actually follow through on that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's um, yeah, it's hard. And I I think that was a great. I don't know. I liked that thought-provoking start to the book. It's a useful device to make you reconcile with where you are really and what your real experience is and has been. Um, And if you you don't like what that says about you, then what are you going to do to change it? I feel like I liked that 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 was like a good data point at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Um, So what... uh, parts of the book stuck out to you or do you kind of remember most yeah um I uh finished this book a few months not a few months ago I don't want to pretend like I was very far ahead I was not (laughs) I probably finished this book in March um and we are now in May so it's not so so far out of uh my brain anymore but um I really like in preparing for this conversation I kind of went through and made notes um of the different sections uh of the book and you know, there's the cast pillars I thought were really interesting, mm-hmm. um, how she framed that. But really, it's the the consequences of cast that I feel like are mostly kind of resonant. Um, but I don't want to jump that far ahead. So I would say let's kind of we could kind of go through the the timeline of the book, sure. um, just to keep ourselves organized and then give ourselves a little time for a meaty, in depth conversation towards the end. Um, but just like the quick review, I wrote down the cast pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, divine will was one of them. Inherit or er, heritability, like basically the ability to inherit cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, control of marriage and mating. Purity versus pollution. Occupational hierarchy. Dehumanization. Terror as enforcement. And inherent superiority versus inherent inferiority. And that is like a really fascinating how she kind of created those like eight pillars um and all of those you can just think off the top of your head of like examples after example after example um but i thought that the control of marriage and mating and purity versus pollution were the particularly interesting um mostly because you know loving versus virginia is not that long ago um and that was the Supreme Court ruling for interracial marriages. And I, th- I think we're at 51 years-ish. I think it happened in, what, the 50s or early 60s? No, later. Later, really? late 60s, I want to say. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Feels like something went on. Google it. Yeah, Google it. Um, yeah, I'll keep chatting while you fact check us. Um, <laughs> we're breaking the cardinal rule of deep dive, but that's fine. Oh, is that a cardinal rule? No, no, because deep dive, deep dive, by the way, is another <laughs> podcast that we are both listening to um, with June Diane Raphael and Jessica St. Clair. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. Ta- um, it tangent, if you don't want to wait as long for podcasts as we produce them, they are terrific. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, Divine Will was, I feel like was bullshit and I could just move past that um intellectually but the control of marriage and mating you know made these very go ahead okay sorry just update here you were right um it was decided in 1967 that's so much later than I would have thought yeah Jesus much of America the civil rights came much later than you would have thought <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah. okay um 
Yeah. No, yeah. So, uh, yeah, late 60s. So, 67. Um, yeah, and so that was the first time that interracial marriages were allowed. And, you know, that other book um, that I read, which uh, was one about Fatal Invention, they talked about a court case in the 20s in New York where um, a woman uh, was getting a divorce from her, you know, uh, socialite husband. And I just love the idea of male socialites. Um, and that whatever the divorce proceedings he was divorcing her because he was saying that he didn't know she was black and she had to defend herself in a court of law that said that he obviously knew she was black because she saw him naked and her nipples were darker than a white woman's nipples so he knew so this is a you know a specious claim or whatever um and that was like a literal court hearing and she had to take her top off in court in 20s with an all-male jury and show her breasts to prove her point and the court found in her favor it's insane and because it is truly insane <laughs> um and america has the like or not america well yeah america has this kind of one drop rule where if you have one drop of you know black blood then you are black and that is it, not typical anywhere else. That's an American invention. Um, like Spanish settlers in Latin America viewed um, if they, you know, had children with native folks, those children were Spanish. Um, and in here, like, you know, in America, obviously, if a slave owner, ha you know, had a child with a slave, that child was a slave. Mm -hmm. And so there, that, that d difference, I think, is so uniquely American and really complicates this for us because... We, we protected whiteness so aggressively that early that that's what flattens whiteness now. And I feel there's this kind of like pendulum swinging in Black Lives Matter conversations where it's like, well, like, well, why are we just white? Why aren't we Irish and French and, you know, German? It's like, well, because we did that to literally create a caste system in America so that we could be better than everybody else. That's why. <laughs> that's what you lost along the way. Um, and so I feel like there's that, that part of this I thought was really fascinating. Um, and again, like that goes to the purity versus pollution too. Um, and like all things in life, it goes back to Harry Potter and like this kind of mud blood versus pure blood mentality. Um, everything comes back everything to Everything comes back to, it is truly an evergreen book. The book themselves, not the creator. She's, yeah. she's yeah. trouble. Um, but yeah, so I think that there is, you know, that's such a part of the American experience. And even thinking, you know, it's, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month in a year that has seen a huge uptick in anti-Asian violence. And it, it's just a worth worthwhile reminder that uh, Japanese folks who were interned in America, mm -hmm. one, they got reparations. Two, to be eligible for internment, which is like not the right term. Eligible seems like it's a good thing and not, uh, you know, a devastating thing. But you only had to be 132nd Japanese. Like that's how closely we protect whiteness. So if of your 16 grandparents, if one of them was Japanese or 16 great, 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 great grandparents, one of them was Japanese, you would have been eligible to be interned. And so this is so deeply ingrained in our culture as uh, whiteness is separate from everything else because of this caste system that it just reading and like her research is so good and like really understanding the depth of it it is, I think, startling. It's like, oh, man, this is truly who we decided to be. Yeah, it's... Um, I I think, the yeah, like you said, the depth of the research and the just so many stories mm -hmm. um, 
kind of supporting the not only supporting the arguments but really I think bringing it to life of like right like storytelling is such a powerful tool Mm -hmm. and um I think she does such a good job of um just showing you example after example of how these pillars manifest themselves Mm -hmm. um and I think one of the other things I found super interesting was her parallels between she you know, I think the main focus of the book is is definitely on um, the caste system in America, but she parallels it to, you know, um, Germany in the 1930s and also the caste system in India, Mm -hmm. um, which I didn't know very much about and and learned, you know, I mean, new kind of generalizations, but um, I really liked that she drew those parallels and really forces you to think, you know, before, like, you would never have said like oh the you know I don't know I don't think that was a natural uh conclusion to be like oh the caste system in America is the same as the caste system in India but like after reading the book you're like there's so many parallels and um so much um kind of similarities in certain structures that uh you know it really forces I think us here to reckon with like um our view of ourselves as like this great democracy um and you know foundation of you know founding place of liberty and you know people came here and kind of like conquered the west and blah 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 and like it's just um there's so much dark and history and um people that were really oppressed along the way for a certain majority to um dominate this Mm -hmm. land and kind of this narrative we tell ourselves or is so told in the in the media um or in our kind of culture about you know land of liberty happiness for all is like you know true for some and not so true for everyone Mm -hmm. and how do you grapple with that um and I don't think we've done enough grappling and I'm Mm -hmm. glad like this last few years I think has really in particular the last year I think has really forced that conversation forward and I think social media has helped that in a way because um I have recognized like so many of my friends have made me more informed and better about I think what's going on and I was not as aware as I would have liked to be and like I'm ashamed of that like I you know didn't some of this you just um yeah didn't didn't really realize and um how do you push yourself to be better than that? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not okay right? To, to use. And she says that at the end of the book. I know we're jumping ahead here, but I really liked how she ended it where she was like, you know, we are responsible for our own ignorance mm-hmm. and it is our responsibility to educate and better ourselves. Like, we owe that to mm-hmm. each other. Um, and I, I really liked that. Yeah. Um, Which, just, after a book like this, to kind of end on... You know, I'm not sure if it, a hopeful note is the right way, but like to end on a call to action, yeah. that was really wonderful mm-hmm. uh, because you do kind of go through and be like, this is such a broken system <laughs> and I cannot fix it. And I think that you know, to your point about like, I wouldn't have thought that we had a caste system in America, but I think she really does a clear job about saying like all of the isms that you see in America are a result of the caste system. And mm-hmm. prior to like this kind of framework, I thought too, like, oh, we just like, you know, we... <laughs> America's original sin was slavery and so you're still reckoning from the racism of that um and that's not really it because it was not a passive thing that happened to America that was a thing that we actively created um and perpetuated and the dominant caste it now still does that mm-hmm. and it's really 
incredibly hard to move the needle. Um, and it's interesting because there's just such a difference between this type of well-researched um, book that has, includes these anecdotes too to make it personal to like create that connection and the kind of Fox News talking heads that just spout opinion and they're treated in public discourse like they're just like oh two sides of the same coin like you know but they're one, not they're yeah. not at all <laughs> it's like one is propaganda and bullshit and has no statistical backing no no information and like even thinking that right now like critical race theory is talked about all the tucker carlson has a lot of feelings about critical race theory and i was like what the fuck is critical race yeah, theory wait, what is that well i did a google <laughs> <laughs> because that's genuinely all it takes to to figure that out in america these days uh yeah quick google of critical race theory is basically what in california where charlotte and i are both from would be ethnic studies and so the idea that we would change the educational um like material in california schools to include more like ethnic studies courses and information so charlotte and i charlotte who's the the number one sorry just go, go. Just googled it the number one uh hit is from fox news yeah of course yeah because nobody else is calling it critical race theory um critical race theory is an area of academic study in higher education it is not something that we would put in elementary schools but go off tucker um so basically like california is obviously like a very diverse state um california used to be part of mexico like there is a ton of you know a huge influx of chinese immigrants to help like build the infrastructure of america there's a native population all sorts of things were already happening so how could we have our education better reflect that and charlotte and i who spent a lot of time at the santa anita racetrack as kids um did not know were never taught that that was a site for interned like the japanese interned and so how could we create an education system that is more inclusive of the things that we're not that proud of like it's the same point over and over again like we just Who is deciding what is history and what's being taught and who are the gatekeepers to that? Mm -hmm. And like this week, um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, I think her name is, of the 1619 Project was denied tenure because of uh, conservative outcry. And it's again, like who, it's this further conversation of does a black woman get to dictate the history of America? Is she allowed to talk about what our history is? And there was an immediate backlash, like against her ability to tell these like, well-researched stories about who we are so the caste system at work (laughs) this week (laughs) (laughs) well and um i mean some of the stories that i didn't know but talked about in the book like the story of the two white and two black researchers that like embedded themselves in a small town in the south i thought was absolutely fascinating Mm -hmm. i had never heard this story before and just um the the difference in the treatment of the two or of the of the two couples where they're all basically equals they're all equals on this project Mm -hmm. and you just see that um segregation and you know is casteization casteization like the Mm -hmm. the product like the kind of overtaking of this cast like interacting between these four you know how that plays out with these four um researchers and I just I, I don't know it's just insane and how how effect how it affected both mentally emotionally but also physically the the black researchers how mm-hmm. um being put in that situation was so um what's the word I'm looking for 
en- enraging, mm-hmm. anxiety produce. I mean, just it has you on edge yeah. the whole time. And um, so I, I, I loved that. I loved she talked about Satchel Page. I had heard mm-hmm. there was an interview in Fresh Air a few months back about um, a book that was written about Satchel Page. And uh, I didn't know anything about him. And he's like this fascinating pitcher that should have been like probably the greatest or one of the greatest of all time. Baseball's not my forte. I will say that. <laughs> But he was this amazing athlete, played well into his, like, 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. and because he Suck was... Suck it, Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, can, can you match that? <laughs> Got 20 more years in there. Um, and because he was, um, you know, baseball wasn't integrated at that time, like, just hasn't been recognized and wasn't um, able to really, I think, demonstrate or get full... Um, uh, what's the word? Full appreciation for his mm-hmm. gifts and abilities. And... Um, you know, it's only now that mm-hmm. I, I've kind of heard that name and that's just awful. Like, you know, that's so sad. It, I mean, it, it reminds me also of, um, in, uh, a league of their own oh, classic, great, great movie. Uh, <laughs> but you see, there's like this tiny, like few seconds on screen of where you see the, uh, black women who are just as capable as you can tell by the really great throw that that lady makes mm-hmm. back to, I think Gina Davis mm-hmm. and, they were not included in um, those leaks. So I guess, you know, it's good that we're talking about it and these are being brought up, but it's like, wow, like, really? Like, that took that long? And also, like, why did that happen in the first place? Mm-hmm. And also, like, why is it, why is shit like this continuing? Like, why is, why is um, maybe not in this exact form or in that exact form how it was in the baseball leagues, but, like, racism and Voter oppression suppression. yeah it still like happens yeah. and we're like we're in fucking 2021 mm-hmm. like what are we doing mm-hmm. anyways yeah um and i think that it i think this is part of the challenge too is that it's so deeply ingrained into our culture that it's very hard to separate um the, the assumptions so like there's an mm-hmm. underlying assumption um about you know X, Y, and Z, let's say. And the white narrative within, like, those assumptions are the predominant narrative. You saw it in TV, in movies, in culture. Like, A League of Their Own was, you know, a can-do story about a bunch of ladies, really, who were patriots. But again, like, totally excluded women of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so these kinds of how we tell the story and who gets to tell the story um, is... Luckily, it's starting to change a lot. Um, I think culturally, with all these different, <laughs> there's so many platforms. They got to fill it with content, so well, we're getting such good content. But this, that's I think it's pop culture plays such a huge role in our cultural uh, identity or thought process on things. And don't you think part of that, like I'm trying to, I, I do think that's something that's changed and is a long time coming. Um, but don't you think Hamilton really pushed that forward, that, like, more diverse casting and just showing, you know, anyone can play any part and we shouldn't be so um, restrictive? And I I really feel like that was an inflection point mm-hmm. um, in how they did uh, the play Hamilton. And, like, you know, it doesn't need to be, like, a white actor playing Alexander Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Like, it can be anyone. And... Um, I just, you know, think they, I'm sure there are other examples probably 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the one that comes to mind for me that really like was on such a national stage. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to think about like the inverse and like how early, um, like, you know, actors were in blackface to play black characters and caricatures, not really like they were fully developed characters in early like plays and movies. Um, and then as early or not as early as late as like, you know, the nineties, even people like playing, you know, there's some white guy playing an Indian character in some movie that I can think I can imagine his face I can't think of his name or what movie but like these kinds of like uh oh god more recently Emma Stone playing a a Asian woman and so yeah yeah. and even like more not more problematic but differently problematic Zoe Saldana playing Nina Simone um in basically blackface and so all of these ways in which like we do shitty casting and like Hollywood should not be the beacon for where where we go for thing to make things better um but I think that Hollywood does have the biggest impact well because it's what you know it's a lot of like um what we all commonly watch Mm -hmm. right and so their pop culture does have a really lasting impression on and it does form how you think about how you going back to making judgments and making quick judgments like if all you see all day long is um you know a white older man as ceo Mm -hmm. of a company and like in all the movies and tv shows you ever watch that's who plays a ceo Mm -hmm. and then you know if you see maybe um uh like women being housewives and you know people of color doing more lower paying jobs or being homeless Mm -hmm. like then how can that not affect mm-hmm. how you then go into the world right. and make judgments? And I think I've, you know, really realized or tried to be much more aware of that and have caught myself a few times where I'm like, whoa, like, where did, why is that judgment coming here? Like, mm-hmm. how, you know, why did I get to that conclusion? And it's frankly, like, super shameful. And I'm embarrassed about that because um, I wish that that weren't, the case um but I think that's what I liked about reading this book and also just the discourse that's happened over the past year is like um you know awareness is kind of the first step yeah and um wanting to be open to that um it's kind of almost like when you go to therapy like if you're not aware like you're not nothing's gonna change (laughs) nothing's gonna improve right like you gotta be aware and you have to be willing yeah I think that's the other thing right like Mm -hmm. you know if you don't want to show up for that or you're not open to change or open to new ideas like it's just not gonna happen and like my friend and yours ted lasso says like growth is uncomfortable kind of like riding a horse (laughs) if you if it's comfortable you're probably not doing it right (laughs) um and i think that that like that vulnerability of like this is shameful like i i have like those thoughts are in my head I have that too and like sometimes thinking about like political um debates and like the underlying assumption of x y and z I'm like oh yeah that makes sense and then like wait a minute does that make sense like what assumption what underlying assumption am I using as the foundation for this argument um and really it's this kind of idea of like every opportunity I have to like be curious instead of right is when I find myself being more like open to new information and learning like I think resisting the urge to be right and to be an A student is my biggest hindrance in this 
part of the journey because like like even even in this conversation so far it's like oh like I've read these other books I have a lot of information I understand like the data behind this but like in a lot of ways that ends up being a shield too it's like look at how good I'm doing <laughs> at, at learning this versus how am I acting on the, that information and what am I doing in my normal life and how do I show up in spaces where my voice has an impact and then how do I use it Mm -hmm. um and that's been a much harder pivot for me um and I'm lucky to have had some opportunities where like I do have a voice to just listen to and I can kind of affect change that's positive um and those are the like I think because that makes me nervous it makes me more curious and I'm like have what what am I missing whose voice is not included in this like how do I bring that into this space has been like a lot of how I approach things at work which has been really rewarding but also (laughs) very scary because I'm like I hope other people are doing this too but if they're not then like I have to make sure that like nothing falls through the cracks from on on our end or whatever so it is how you put the information into action too well, and um, I've thought about how all those thoughts going through, you know, that we're talking about right now are going through our heads, like is such a drop in the ocean of what a black person is probably thinking every day and in, in, day in and day out mm-hmm. on some of these topics, right? Like, um, or again, maybe that's an assumption I'm making, but I, I just think like, you know, we're like we said we're white and we're not even living that day to day so I can't even imagine the like mental and intellectual and emotional toll and physical toll to have all of that on your shoulders all the time and having to fight the system every day day Mm -hmm. in and day out whether it's something small like Mm -hmm. um there was a story that she talks about about the guy who's like running out to get like milk Mm -hmm. at, at night and he goes in to change into a suit and tie so that he like looks okay to go to the grocery store and I'm like oh my god like like I, I that's what privilege is right I've never had to think about that and um just how taxing that must be every day um I just think uh you know this book um helped to to bring out and in comparison with um one of the stories uh, about I think an Indian man who moved to the U.S. Um, was talking about going into a store and how I guess his family is traditionally from the lower caste in India and um, but he's a very you know has moved to the U.S. very I think he's a professor now or very successful and he still even when he goes into a store like feels very, very deferential if there's like a white owner or white you know person in the store and like he saw, he said, I saw two ladies just browsing in a store for like 30 minutes and then left and didn't buy anything. And he was like, I could never imagine thinking that. And I was like, oh my God, I've never thought about that. And I have definitely browsed in many a store. Girl, I have shopped and, with you. Yeah, and not purchased. <laughs> and I, I like, wow, like that really, I mean, again, maybe because my shopping habits, that really, that really, that one like really particularly stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how there are people who don't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, or, sorry, that there are people that have to think about that. And people like me where that doesn't even, you know, hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, so I was embarrassed about that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, but, you know, we'll try to do better. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not, it's, it's not 
Charlotte, how dare you <laughs> shop in a store and not buy a thing? Like that's not on you. It's more so like the the societal thing of like. Well, just yeah. being aware that that is something that I can do with ease. Yeah. And oh, it doesn't yeah, yeah. even okay, like good. come to my mind that I need, that I would feel obligated in some way. Although yeah. sometimes I do really feel bad. I'm like, shit, I'm so sorry. I'm just like, <laughs> everything's super expensive. I cannot be in here. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I flip the price tag over and I'm like, oh, well, this is not my kind of story. <laughs> yeah, I need to like <laughs> exit. But, but just, but, but it's more of always a price mm-hmm. thing, right? Like actually that's an interesting thing. Like it's like, oh, it's, I, this is outside my budget, yeah. but it's not like oh, I feel like I'm obligated in some way because of some larger societal structure that is, you know, making me feel this way. I remember, uh, I was probably like 18, um, probably after my freshman year of college, I was shopping with one of my friends in LA and we went to uh, Newport. We went to the beach for the day. We worked at the same bookshop together and had the same day off. So we had a nice little like girls beach day and we popped in. Newport Beach is very bougie for our listeners who are not familiar. Yeah, the OC, did not watch think, MTV. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like Real Housewives of Orange exactly. County. Exactly. Like yeah. Kind of the brand. That area. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and along like the beach, like of the main drive, there's like a couple of cute, like fancy retail shops. And we like popped in after like getting, a, you know, a Jamba juice, probably like whatever. Um, and we were browsing and she's black and she came up to me after about two minutes of being there. She's like, we have to leave. They're following me. I said, oh, we're out. <laughs> like off we go. And I remember feeling like a little flustered as we walked out the door, um, because it felt so abrupt to me, but I never like really until recently did I think about what it might have felt like for her to have to tell her friend we can't stop shopping this store because they think I'm gonna steal and like that kind of like you know I never thought about it like we moved on and I was it was in one ear out the other for me which is again like my own privilege but I don't know how she felt about that or like what that experience must have been like but like how quickly she registered what was happening and knew what was happening and we left and you know, like as much as I feel guilty for like not thinking about it or having a different kind of conversation, um, I do think at least I I didn't say like, well, are you sure? Like they probably were just like, it was probably just good customer service, <laughs> um, which is what my default would have been. Like I would have assumed that for me, but not I like at least our friendship was enough that I like was like, oh yes, we're gone then. <laughs> if you're not comfortable here, I am not comfortable here. Um, but how many, I just worry about, not worry, I, I, it's heartbreaking to think about how many experiences like that exist and the dynamics that that causes and, uh, you know, just like to feel like you can't just like be window shopping with your friend. Like we were in the same economic position. Nobody was following me. Somebody was following her. Mm-hmm. And that's just shitty. Like that's just uh Again, like, that's the system. And then this is also, like, again, this is the cost to all of us. This is the cost that we all pay for a caste system. Yeah, it's, um, oh, how she calls it? I think the consequences Mm -hmm. of caste, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought, um, was, was really interesting. Yeah. Um, um, the only other thing I want to touch on is, like, the dominant group status threat that she talks about. That was one of the chapter names. Um, and I feel like that's, to me, like, that's exactly what Tucker Carlson and critical race theory fear-mongering is. Um, it's, like, right before the consequences of caste, uh, mm-hmm. one of the chapters, yeah. And 
uh, I feel like this threat of like, you know, the browning of America is like this idea that like, and like even in the elections, you know, election coverage I think is so fascinating um, because there's, they're trying to parse and predict all of these different demographic things, but they talk about like the browning of America, like this might be the last, uh, you know, census where there's like a white majority and like, you know, all of these kind of like by this date, like, uh, you know, the vast majority of Americans will be brown or black. And like that I think is like an interesting data point from a census demographic thing, but it is terrifying to this kind of dominant cast that feels like they're losing their grip. Um, and to me, that's like what Fox News's target demographic is, is this kind of like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> there's going to be the America that you know is changing. That's the Donald Trump voting block to make America great again is, yeah. you know, the, the subtext of that is like, make it wider, make it your voice matter more. Um, all of these like voter suppression laws, it's the same type of stuff like over and over again, where like there might be more of you, but we'll make it harder for your voice to hurt like here. So my vote still would matter more. Like all of that stuff is so deeply ingrained in this too that I think is part of like what the challenge is um is like it's hard to be curious when you're scared and Fox News has made it so profitable to make people scared so how do you how do you open the conversation up yeah the the feeding into the fear and paranoia Mm -hmm. I mean it's it is scary when you look at some of the parallels with you know she describes the rise of of Hitler, and I actually I read a book recently by Eric Larson, who wrote mm-hmm. *Devil in the White City*, yeah. um, which I loved. But uh, he wrote a book called *In the Garden of Beasts*, which mm-hmm. is about um, the American ambassador to the U.S. who moves to Berlin in 1933 or 32 with his family, um, and basically goes through like you know what he's watching as Hitler was you know just gains more and more power and is feeding mm-hmm. more and more into this like. Um, kind of fascism, nationalism, and um, like fierce anxiety mm-hmm. and f- you know fear mongering and all of this, and mm-hmm. um, you watch kind of the things that are being said in the discourse then, and you mm-hmm. you know when you reflect back on what we're hearing right now or have you heard over the last years or what has been you know percolating in the national discourse, there's a lot of scary parallels mm-hmm. that is like whoa. You know, um, and, uh, you know, I know it's not just happening here. I think it's um, happening in other places around the world as well. This kind of um, backlash of, you know, um, like of multiculturalism and globalization in a way of like us becoming more integrated across borders and surpassing borders and and um, crossing ethnic or racial lines. And there's... um, yeah, this this swing towards no, I want to be, I want things to stay how they were. Like mm-hmm. you know, you see Brexit, or you see um, the rise of some of these uh, more right wing uh, nationalist parties, mm-hmm. and um, I I don't know. Like it'll be, I don't know how it. I I I want to say that I have like long long term mm-hmm. long game. I have hope in and optimism in us moving forward generally, mm-hmm. but. I do think there can be, you know, backslides in the short term. Mm-hmm. And it's Backlash. not a straight line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a straight, <laughs> it's not just like up into the right graph right. of like we just progress in this natural way. It's like, no, it's like we we take twists and turns mm-hmm. and we go forward two steps and then back three. And then, and, um, you know, it's kind of similar. Sorry, this is a little, oh, yeah. like another rant I'd like to go on. Let but, us go. <laughs> 
But like also, you know, the vaccine right now is Mm -hmm. a really hot topic. And there's this also very prominent anti-vax, anti-science kind of rhetoric Mm -hmm. as well that is percolating that I just don't really understand. And medical freedom, baby. Yeah. But like, (laughs) I'm like, do you want to go back to the Middle Ages? Like, what? Like, I would like modern medicine. Mm -hmm. I don't want like, you know, like... I don't want to go back to then. Do you know what it was like for women to give birth in those times? It was horrible. So, um, you know, I just don't understand this. Like, why do we want to go backwards? Mm -hmm. Like, let's keep moving forward. Like, it is not perfect Mm -hmm. for sure. But, like, it's definitely better than how it was. Yeah. And is it even backwards or is it, this is another thing I don't understand so I don't want to. Yeah. Because I feel like that's a lot of what, like, you know, Every girl on my Facebook feed that is like, I'm not getting this vaccine, you get it first, got a D in biology in high school. Like, you know, it's not anybody who went on into a medical field. So, and it's not to knock anybody who got a D in biology in high school. I, too, was among you. Um, But I do just feel like there is a... If I don't understand how this works, then I don't want it in my body, which is not necessarily a thing I disagree with, except that I trust the people who do know how it works. And so if they say it's okay for my body, it can go into my body. Um, but vaccines are like, it's just, we know vaccines. We know how vaccines work. It's not rocket science. Like they didn't invent the wheel on this. They said, ah, yes, we have a whole system in place. We just need to devise the right thing for this virus. Off we go. Um, so I feel like it was, and my, my cousin who's an epidemiologist said, uh, the best people in the world who were the smartest on like vaccines were working on this. Like this was the A team for sure. Um, and so I think that that is like also just like a good reminder too. It's like, do I need to understand this? Like, to be honest, I don't understand how I get internet on my cell phone, but I do. <laughs> and I'm not upset about <laughs> I'm it. I'm not upset about it. Cause I could look up when loving versus Virginia happened. Um, <laughs> So I do think that there is, it's a mistrust. And like, you know, to be honest, I do also think that that is a conservative thing now where they're, with like the 1619 Project, with like, you know, Isabel Wilkerson's whole academic work, like there is a distrust of education because the information that is coming out of this like incredible research is debunking the story that they're telling themselves because it's a made-up story because it's not real yeah i mean christopher columbus is like an adorable story of like ah this sweet guy who got lost looking for spices and was like oh my god there's people here and i'm gonna kill like all of them will die of the diseases i bring and like the suffering that i impose right and like the first thanksgiving is like kind of like a cute like a meat cute for pilgrims and indians that went terribly like you know the stories we tell are just not yeah. The, the real thing and like this idea that like in California public schools we would have a more honest accounting of our history has created fervor on the right and so <laughs> I, it's not a good look when you're anti-education but it checks out if you're anti-education you're also falling for QAnon conspiracies and you know not anti-vaxxer and all of these things and I think that there is a tendency uh, on the left myself very much included um to be like, well, Darwinism, and to be a little bit cavalier. But that, I I really have to, like, resist that urge, and I have to figure out how to Brene Brown it, and, like, it's hard to hate people up close. And so how do I get closer and say, like, what, like, where are you approaching this from? Like, where are you getting information from? Like, that doesn't match up with what I have learned. Like, let's have a conversation. Like, how do do you start that is, like, such a challenge in my life, 
Um, but a lot of the people I love think very differently about this than I do. And I have to figure out how to, um, engage with them productively and protect those relationships and still like, you know, hold myself accountable for my own values. Uh, and it's a tough line to walk. It is. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's difficult, especially when you disagree with someone who's very close to you in your life, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I just, you know, these, some people who seem to not, um, kind of want to stick their head in the sand and be like, that's, you know, this isn't happening or this isn't true. Um, you know, I'm just like, I think about, you know, for example, like I, I don't have an experience as a person of color, but I do know what it's like to be a woman in like, for example, a male dominated workplace and Mm -hmm. how hard that can be. And I'm like, if, and then when a, you know, a man tries to say like, oh, I understand kind of what you're going through. I'm like, well, how you can empathize for sure. Mm -hmm. But like, you can't, I don't think you can ever fully know a hundred percent what it's like to be in the other person's shoes. Right. Unless you've Mm -hmm. actually lived that. And obviously, right. So like, um, and I'm just like, can't we take that same idea and be like, I, while I am trying my best to understand what it's like for someone else, you know, a person of color in this country to, to how, how do they, um, walk through every, every day in this country? Like I, I also am humble enough to say, like, I don't fully understand their experience. Right. I don't, I don't think you can ever get to a hundred percent understanding. And like, why aren't these people who are sticking their head in the sand? Can't you feel similarly? Like, how can you say that you fully understand what that person's gone through? Like you've not lived their life. How Mm -hmm. could you ever say like, oh, what they're saying is untrue Mm -hmm. or it's not real. It's like, well, you can't discount someone's experience, I think. And that that really frustrates me. Yeah. Um, There's a quote from her uh, that I like that made made me think of. Uh, Radical empathy, on the other hand, means putting in the work to educate oneself and to listen with a humble heart to understand another's experience from their perspective, not as we imagine we would feel. That is, like, the hardest part Mm -hmm. because I would love to center myself in most conversations I have. (laughs) Um, And taking the time to figure out how to listen to someone talk about that and, like, their experience and not put myself in the center, I think, is a skill that I'm still working on. Um, But I think it's an important part of this conversation. Um, And hopefully it's, like, a muscle that just gets stronger with time. Um... And it's like one of those things too, where it's, I, whenever people used to apologize, I used to always say, oh, it's okay. And now I've started saying thank you. Um, And I think that that's part of this kind of like mental shift in my brain too, where it's like, I don't want to brush it aside and I don't want to center myself. I do want to acknowledge like what is being said, like being an active listener versus someone just waiting for their turn to talk, which I also am. (laughs) Well... Um, any last thoughts on the book or, um, I think, I mean, I really, um, it was a great book. Mm-hmm. I loved the end yeah. to be honest. I think it was my favorite part. Yeah. Like the last few chapters I thought were just so good. Um, also I just, maybe it's cause of recency bias. I just read them this morning. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it could also be my bias. Um, yeah. Uh, but, um, really i mean i think eye-opening and uh i hope it becomes like honestly like it should be required reading i feel like in high school or even you know younger it's just such a 
Yeah. I think it's also really book. helped me to identify things. Um, and that's when I know a book has really had an impact on me is when I'm seeing uh, through the veil a little bit more. Like um, one of the interesting, <laughs> one of the interesting things I read recently was um, there was in this anti-Asian hate, um, a couple viral videos have gone out where black men were the perpetrators of anti-Asian violence. And uh, statistically, <laughs> my friends over at NPR um, reported that, actually there was a study, I think at the University of Michigan that NPR reported on, that um, of the anti-Asian violence incidents that have like been reported over the last year, um, where the race of the perpetrator was known, something like 92% of all of them were perpetrated by white men. Um, like the perpetrators are disproportionately male and disproportionately white. And so thinking about how it was that the videos um, of anti like Asian violence that went viral were of black men as the perpetrators to me felt like a consequence of caste um, and mm -hmm. this kind of further, um, you know, suggestion that like black men are like violent and uh, a threat. And I think that that like just thinking about like this book in the back of my head has really helped me like reconcile that like this is this is not. The reality of the situation like this is like who who's in charge of this kind of narrative and like you know just to be a little bit more critical in my thinking when things like that come through um just because i think it's such an easy slippery slope um to reinforce those kind of uh stereotypes and like what is you know one of the other quotes that i wrote down um from this book was like the price of privilege is uh, the moral duty to act when one sees another person treated unfairly and as someone with a lot of privilege I think that that's where I'm really trying to spend my energy like you know obviously watching a viral video there's no action for me to take but like contextualizing it and like sharing the information that is out there I think is part of like where pushing back on false narratives like that that's kind of where I can be more productive too like just like not being a space that tolerates bullshit. Exactly. No bullshit. A no bullshit zone. And being able to <laughs> handle it when I'm wrong. Well, I'm also fine. <laughs> being brave so enough to being, act means... Being, <laughs> being humble enough to yeah. Yeah, accept. Um, loving criticism. And also not loving criticism. Well, I... I'm glad we did this book. Um, <laughs> yes. No, like truly. Um, and um, I don't know. I guess what are we going to do next? <gasps> A lighter read next time around? I, I th yeah, I'd like to do, I think, fiction. Okay. What do you think? Love a fiction book. Um, uh, yeah. what is, what's on... What's on deck? Yeah, what's on your mind? <laughs> what's I'm looking over at the stack of unread books I have yeah. that I haven't read. Uh, well, actually, we could also, if you wanted to do The Wreckage of My Presence, we could do Casey oh, Wilson's yeah. book. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Okay, that was good. fun. Perfect. But, or, I mean, I haven't read it yet. Yeah, but it will be fun. <laughs> it will be fun. Um, and I'm just, I've also been watching, per your recommendation, yeah. her show called Happy Endings that she yeah. was on from back in 2011. Apparently, it started, and I totally missed it at the time. Um, yeah, you were not but, alone. <laughs> but honestly, like, it's fantastic. It's on HBO. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for something to make you laugh, um, that is what it serves. Yeah. <laughs> just as, like, a good 
fun, like more modern version of friends in my mind or like more like, you know what? Friends can suck it. (laughs) This is better than friends. (laughs) I know friends has a lot of problem is problematic, Mm -hmm. but I just like, I think it's more of a, a, like I grew up, like it was always on a nostalgia factor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like of a certain time that is just like imprinted, you know, when you're a certain age, I feel like you're so imprinted with the cultural um things of that time and um that's I think yeah I mean that's fair I do rock a side part myself but those boys with the center parts that was our whole childhood every my formative years oh yeah (laughs) they talk about the parts in in the deep dive and how yeah you can't do middle parts or i can't it's not for me yeah no that's not my journey i'm a side part i'm a side part too and more power to the youth in gen z that can rock a middle part you know when a a hairdresser once told me that i should sometimes switch like i can do a side part Mm -hmm. but he said sometimes do the other side part because that way it doesn't pull so much on one side and Um. so you give it a little break and do the other side I like. I don't that. know. It's been hard for me to do. It just yeah. kind of now naturally parts yeah. at that place. But yeah, I don't. Want, I don't want to. I don't want to have a bald patch there, though. No, I don't want to have a bald patch so, either. So I don't know. I have to say, Katie, your hair is always the most. <laughs> like, and I'm looking right now, mm-hmm. and it's just very glowing. Like you always have just like silky, yeah. very like yeah. neutral like nutrient rich thank you now I, we are not sponsored but i do go to halcyon salon in shaw um and my friend and yours joelle takes great care of me and she just will listen to me as i just try to describe the hair vibe i'm going for and then she just levels up my dumb ideas and makes it look like i had a smart idea because of how good she does it um but yeah no just uh just clean living <laughs> Maybe it helps that I don't use uh, heat products on it these days. I know, because we're not fucking going anywhere. We're not fucking going anywhere. <laughs> I'm going nowhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. Um, but we're, like, in the same place. No. That's a win. I'll take we're that. We're inside, and we're maskless, and it's safe, and it's terrific. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, a one step forward, so. Yeah. We love it. So I guess we'll see you all back next time after we read The Wreckage of My Presence by Casey Wilson. Um, I think you can probably find it pretty much everywhere books are sold, would be my guess. We would recommend your local independent bookstore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. No, I do. I love... Mm-hmm. I'll make a plug for Politics and Prose, yeah. um, which I love in D.C. Yeah. And, I'm a Kramer um, Books girl myself. Also in D.C. I know. It's just, yeah, like I said before, Politics and Prose is closer for me. Yeah, that's true. It's just a closer walk. But, yeah. and I'm a little bit lazy in that. But The Strand in New York, oh, great yeah. bookstore. Oh, yeah. It's Romans. Romans in Pasadena, yeah. Um, I went to Seattle, and... I freaking like, you know, there's a million things to do there. What did I do? Go to a bookstore. I went to a bookstore and bought books. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also went to Target. Well, also, you know, I love Target. Yeah. <laughs> Two things can be true about this. <laughs> um, so, you know, you can move plate. What is it? Like, you can take the girl out of the yeah. city or something, right. but the books will follow me. I don't know. I'm trying to make it. We'll, we'll, make, we'll workshop that for next time. <laughs> Um, I also was with my mom for a couple days off and 
uh, we were there for, I think, three days. And mm-hmm. I took out approximately, I think, seven books from the library. And Incredible. she was like, how are you going to read seven books in three days? And I was like, I don't know, Mom, but... Mm-hmm. This is what relaxes me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to be in. Yeah, what if I don't like the book I picked up? i got to have backup yeah, I options. I have a backup book. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, uh, I love cool. It. Well, what That's a day. It. Perfect. Bye. Bye.